Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good morning to you all. I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm the other pastor here, and I'm so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. And as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series, one that we're calling Dealing with People. And the reason for that is because we constantly have to deal with people, don't we? Can't, Can't really get away with it too much. But especially as we emerge from this season of pandemic, which I continue to believe and hope that we are emerging, that we will arrive on the other side, I find myself wondering if one of the main things that we're going to have to relearn as we re-emerge is how to deal with people. I, I, I heard a story from someone kind of along these lines, and actually it may have been one of you, I just cannot remember who told me the story, so sorry if it's yours, but they were telling me about a story where after having been separated for so long by this pandemic, they had finally gathered together with family and friends for a, a wonderful dinner. And right there in the middle of the meal, one of the guests let out this enormous belch And immediately they were incredibly embarrassed and they just couldn't believe they had done it. And they began to explain that that having been isolated for so long by this pandemic, they had forgotten what it was like to be with people. They had forgotten their table manners and that they were going to have to relearn how to be with people again in social settings. And I think in some ways we are going to have to relearn to be with people, to relearn how to deal with people. And you could hear that phrase, deal with people, a couple of different ways. You could hear it as, how do we dismiss them? How do we endure them? How do we tolerate them? How do we manipulate them? How do we coerce them? And I just want you to know, I'm not talking about any of those things. What I'm talking about is how we deal with people in, the, in how we navigate relationships. How do we engage in a real and authentic way, in such a way where we deal with, we negotiate the realities and the dynamics of relationships, specifically relationships with people? You know, because people are, well, annoying. (laughs) And people are hurtful and sinful and lazy and frustrating and self-absorbed and afraid and opinionated, and for some reason, they think that you care about their opinion. And people are wonderful, and they're amazing, and they're creative, and they're kind, and they're loving, and they're made in God's image. And so how do we deal with people, the whole picture of people? One of the funny things about this COVID pandemic is that for introverts, it's been an amazing excuse not to have to expend the energy that it takes to deal with people. It's been fantastic. Just dealing with yourself is so much easier than everybody else. For others, this COVID pandemic has given permission to simply avoid people that you find annoying in the name of safety, right? And maybe it is for their safety so that you don't do something that will ultimately harm them and that you might regret. But 
As we're starting to emerge, the reality is that some are returning to workplaces with coworkers you wish you never had. Or maybe you're returning to find coworkers that you've only met faced on screen, not face to face, because they're new in the last two years. How do you deal with them? For others, maybe right now you're starting to make plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas, which means being with family that you've been perhaps avoiding. I mean, couldn't be with in this time. I know that for some, honestly, I know that for some, you're continuing to lay low out of a, a totally appropriate amount of caution. And I just want you to know we support you. And that, as a matter of fact, we want to support you better as a church. If there's ways that we can do that, particularly folks who continue to worship with us online, let us know. Because I understand. But for others, others are laying low simply to avoid dealing with people. And either way, things will open up for us all someday. And so it's important, I think, that we are thoughtful now about how we can deal with people and learn, especially from Jesus, about how to deal with people in all of their glory and all of their ugly and everything in between. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we want to try to do. And to get us started, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 33, and so if you'd like to follow along, you can follow along on the screen. But these are Jesus' words for us this morning. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this chance to gather together. We're grateful that you continue patiently to teach us, to shape us, to guide us. And so in this time, may your spirit be at work, conforming us more and more to your image, that we can be the people who live according to your purposes, that we can be transformed from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, Jesus is in conflict with the religious leaders of his day. Actually, right before what we just read, there's been this exchange where the religious leaders are actually insulting and even blaspheming Jesus. Jesus had been out healing people and casting out demons, and the religious leaders were reflecting on this, and they were saying, it is by the prince of demons that that fellow, great way to refer to Jesus, that fellow casts out demons. And so they're insulting him, blaspheming. And in the midst of this conflict, Jesus uses it as a teaching moment, a teaching opportunity that I think for us allows us to reflect on how our words work in our lives and in our relationships as we're learning to deal with people. I think we learn from this, our words reveal and our words will be used as a measure or to judge us. So first, our words reveal. 
Jesus uses in this a, a very common image, a comparison of a tree. He says if a tree is good, it will produce good fruit. If a tree is bad, it will produce bad fruit because a tree is recognized by his fruit. And I think even for us who aren't typically agrarian culture and society, this is still easy enough to understand. You know, it's fall, it's apple picking time. If you go out to an apple tree and you pluck off an apple and you take a bite, if you find that that apple is squishy instead of crisp, if that apple that came right from the tree is nasty, it tells us that there's something wrong. There's a reason. And that's the point Jesus is making. He's making the point that good fruit comes from a good, healthy, strong tree. A tree that's able to fend off bugs, that has solid root system, that can take the nutrients from the sun and the rain and the soil and can distribute them throughout the tree to produce good fruit that is enjoyable to eat. And so when you look at the fruit of a tree, it tells you something about the health, about the interior life of the tree, if it's good or if it's bad. And in the same way, he's saying that a good person speaks from the good that is inside of them and a bad person speaks from the bad or the evil that is inside of them. He's saying, hey, our mouths only speak what our hearts are full of. And from this, we find something very significant, that our words are not just words. Our words reveal the inner state of our heart and our soul. And so when you start thinking about the words you use throughout the day, even the ones that perhaps you wish hadn't come out that you want to take back, that you said, hey, I didn't really mean it, we find Jesus maybe holding a mirror and saying, well, maybe you did. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth mouth speaks. It wouldn't have come out if it wasn't already in there. I remember when I first started drinking coffee, in college, I used to look down my nose on all of those people who needed coffee to keep functioning day in and day out, and then I had children, and I was a very broken man. And I needed coffee every single day. And in those earliest days, I didn't really enjoy the taste of coffee, which actually, as I reflect on it, I think not many of us actually do with the amount of sugar and cream that we all use to cover up the taste of the coffee that's actually there. And so I would use plenty of sugar in those early days to sweeten it up so I could get it down. And I remember the time when I I went and grabbed what I thought was the sugar and found out that it was the salt. Whew. I mean, they look so similar, don't they? And man, you put that salt, it makes the bitterness unbearable. Because the sugar was the thing that for most of us made coffee bearable. And see, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you can't get sugar out of the salt shaker. You can't get good, kind, genuine, loving words out of a heart that is harboring bitterness and hatred and anger and jealousy. You can't get it out when those are the things we're holding on to. And the things that we say reveal what's inside of us, but especially the things we say in private. Because most of us have learned social norms enough that we know what's appropriate to say and not appropriate to say. And so we've learned to bite our tongues so that we're only talking bad about them behind their back, not right to their face. And we've learned in public settings to be on our best behavior. But in private settings, the guard comes down, doesn't it? And when the guard comes down, we're no longer calculating our words, crafting them in such a way as in order to give off the appearance that we are authentic and kind and loving and genuine. But instead, the guard comes down. 
And I think this is actually part of why we don't treat anyone as badly as we treat our own family, do we? Because at home, the guard comes down. At home, and on one hand, that's wonderful because there's a safety at home of feeling safe and accepted, and so we can let the guard come down a little bit more than we do publicly. But on the other hand, man, it's, it would actually be impossible to keep our guard up with our family all the time, wouldn't it? And we're just with them too much. It, it takes too much energy to keep our guard up 24-7. And so the guard will come down, whether we like it or not, with those who are closest to us. And when the guard comes down, man, I, I'm not nearly as careful and calculated with my words. And so when we start thinking about this truth, that what we say reveals what is actually inside of us, then maybe what we should really be thinking about and focusing our attention on is what we say in private and with those with whom we are less guarded. Because out of the overflow of my heart, my, mouth, my heart, my mouth will speak. And what it shows isn't always pretty. Our words reveal what is inside of us, but they also, Jesus tells us in this passage, will be a, used as a measure for judgment. He said in verse 36, I tell you that men and women will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless, every empty word they have spoken. In other words, I'm going to have to give an explanation. I'm going to have to explain why I was harsh and short and judgmental and critical and sarcastic. I'm going to have to explain to God on the day of judgment every single word that has come out of my mouth, especially the empty words. And in Greek, that, that word that we translate empty here is actually this compound word of, that, of two words, dead and useless. The dead, useless words that come out of me, the, the, kind of like that dead tree that isn't bearing good fruit. If it's not bearing good fruit, it may only be worth throwing into a fire. And so for all the dead and useless words in our lives, we will have to give an account. And so how can we tell if our words are dead and useless? I mean, I think we, we in some ways, can intuit it when our words aren't being used to build up, to correct, to support, to encourage, to help. But there's other ways, and so I want to just offer some, some ways for us to reflect this morning on whether our words are useless and dead or not. I mean, certainly we have to just begin with words that are false, you know, because outright, outright lying for sure isn't, isn't useful and helpful to build up and encourage. And it's, but it's not just the outright lying. What about those situations in public conversation where the words that we're speaking betray a reality that we care more about our appearance with other people than we do actually about the person that we're communicating with? And so the words that come out can be filled with hypocrisy. They can be filled with avoidance. They can be filled with falsehoods of various kinds in order to make ourselves look a little bit better than we are. Empty, dead, useless. I was listening to a TED Talk by a guy named Jay Johnson this week. He's a leadership development coach and trainer. And he gives a talk entitled, How to Deal with Difficult People. Which I actually thought about using that as the title for this entire series. But in this talk, he describes archetypes 
These common types of people, and in his talk, he's giving them as an example of the types of difficult people that we find ourselves encountering and that we have to deal with. But I think the irony is that Jesus doesn't look outward. In this passage, he's saying, hey, before you worry about how difficult the other people are in your life to deal with, perhaps you should reflect on whether or not you're the difficult person for others to deal with. Perhaps you need to check yourself and figure out, are your words dead and useless? And so he uses these archetypes that I want to share with us this morning. He says, one of the archetypes is, is the not listener. You know, we know those people that they just won't engage at all. Or maybe when they do, they just ramble. They fill all the silence of a conversation with meaningless talk and, and they aren't letting anybody else get a word in edgewise and they're not really interested or care enough to actually listen to anything you have to say. And so they're just going to keep telling you what they had for breakfast and lunch and dinner and what their dog ate yesterday and what they're going to do on Tuesday. And so they just keep rambling. Dead, useless words. Or maybe it's the one-upper. You, you probably know a one-upper where you've told a story and, and they had to tell theirs. Not, not because it was part of exchanging life experiences and knowing each other, but just to show you that their story is better. And so you've shared this wonderful story about an amazing meal that you had maybe on vacation or as a part of your anniversary. And they had to tell you their story. Because they ate a meal hand-prepared by Julia Child, and they sat at the top of the Eiffel Tower while doves were, were flying around their heads singing the Hallelujah Chorus, and it was miraculous. Just so you know that their story is better. Happens all the time. Dead, useless, one-upping words. How about the gossiper? You know, those people who really take to telling other people's stories because they don't want to have to share their own. They don't want to divulge something uh, of privacy. They don't want to have to reveal their own story and what's going on inside. And, and so they tell someone else's story. And, and really, it makes us feel a lot better when we tell other people's stories because usually the gospel is telling of other people's train wreck rather than their triumph, right? And that's, that feels a little bit better to know that everybody else's life is kind of a mess compared to mine. And so the gospel spreads dead and empty words. Last one he has is the curmudgeon. <laughs> it's just a great term. It's just those folks that you're in conversation with and it feels like everything good has happened in the past. That everything current, whatever the event, whatever the issue, whatever is happening now is just clouded by negativity, frustration. And so all of the interaction is just a huge downer. There's a, a group called the Gottsman Institute, and they do lots of, of research on relationships. And they have what they, they have dubbed the four horsemen of relationships. And this, this image is, is compared to the four horsemen of the apocalypse that we find in the book of Revelation, because these four horsemen of the apocalypse are really those that usher in the beginning of the end because they bring war and famine and destruction and, and it means the end of things is coming. And in the same way, the Gottman, Gottsman Institute talks about the four horsemen of relationships as the beginning of the end. So if you bring these patterns into your relationship, it, it, it marks and even predictively points to the reality that this relationship is going to come to an end. And so we think about these horsemen as another way to reflect on what comes out of our hearts hearts, what words we use. One of the horsemen of the apocalypse or of relationships is criticism. Words of blame, of judgment, words that are harsh, perhaps for no particular purpose or reason. And it, 
it's not focused on a particular issue like saying, hey, when, when you were late and you didn't call, I was worried. I need you to call. No, it, it becomes quickly about their character. Like, you never call. You don't even care about anybody else's thoughts or feelings. It's all about you. It becomes harsh and critical about the core of the person. And man, this happens so quickly in arguments, doesn't it? In arguments, when things start to get heated, how quickly do we lose sight of the actual thing that we were fighting about? It's so easy to do. That rather than talking about the issue, suddenly it becomes this huge thing where we're talking about like core character level assassination that is happening in the course of this conflict. And man, we're going to have to give an account. Even for those words that we said in the heat of the moment, the words that the next day, the day after we say, man, I didn't mean what I said last night. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Another horseman of relationships is contempt. Those words that, that just drip, almost like drip off the tongue. Words of disgust and anger loaded with vitriol and spite. Man, anger comes out so easily in those private moments, doesn't it? Because we can keep a lid on the anger because it's not usually socially acceptable to vent our anger in public. And so the contempt comes out particularly in those private moments. And it may not even be contempt for the person that you are talking with in that private moment. It may be contempt for that person over there that you're expressing to this person over here. And there's so much, I think, contempt in our society right now so much hatred, so much vitriol. I mean, certainly start thinking about it politically, generationally, racially. I think Jesus is saying, hey, watch your words because you may find contempt in your hearts. And the last two horsemen they talk about are defensiveness, which is deflecting responsibility not taking that responsibility, and stonewalling, really just shutting down. And those aren't necessarily patterns about words. They're postures in a relationship. And, of course, that can be expressed in words. But I just wanted you to not be hanging with the last two horsemen of relationships. But all of this is to invite us to imagine. Imagine this, that we're going to have to give an account to God for every idle, dead, useless words we have or ever will utter, and we will be judged according to our words. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I grew up in a wait until your father gets home house. If you grew up in that house, you already know what I'm talking about. But in, in fifth grade, I can still remember I was in Miss Thompson's class and nobody wanted Miss Thompson, but there I was. I had no choice. I'd been assigned to her. And I remember the day we came in from recess and it's so clear in my mind and I was walking along behind this row of desks and Miss Thompson was standing right there across the room and she said, all right, everybody, get out your math homework. And out of my mouth instinctively came one of those words you're definitely not supposed to say. And I couldn't take it back. Miss Thompson had heard it. And immediately I was sent to the principal's office where I had to give an account for the word. Why did you use that? Where did that come from? I was, had to call my mother and mother had to give an account to my mother why I was going to use that. And her response was, of course, wait until your father gets home. And so then I had to anticipate giving the account to my father and then what would come after that. I went home that day just waiting and waiting. And my dad worked late frequently. And so that day was one of those days where he was working late and it was getting later in the evening. And I'm going, all right, it's almost bedtime. You know what? I bet I'm tired. I'm going to bed early tonight. 
got in bed early. You know, dad didn't even come home. I'm th- I get up the next morning. I'm like, Phew, I think the storm has blown over. And then I walk into the kitchen and there's dad sitting at the kitchen table. Have a seat, son. It was time to give an account. And I had been so terrified and of course, rightfully so. But man, that's nothing. That word, it was nothing compared to the account that I'm going to have to give to my heavenly Father for every useless dead word that I have used to hurt and to harm those whom God loves. And we'll give that account someday. And one of the craziest parts, hardest parts about this whole thing is that actually science has proven that it takes 600 milliseconds, 600 milliseconds, that's really small, for a thought to become a word. It takes 600 milliseconds for our brains to, to create a thought and to consider the grammatical structure required to process it and get it out in a way that it can communicate with those around us. Only 600 milliseconds. And so here's what that means. My thoughts get out of my mouth way too fast for me to take control of. I can't filter them that quickly. Out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth speaks and it speaks so quickly. And so what do we do if we want to change this dynamic? If we want to change this? And I think, I think the reality is we have to do more than just change our behavior, which is usually what we try to strive for. We usually just say, okay, this is something wrong. Don't do this. You know, so don't be a gossiper. Don't be a, a not listener. Don't be critical. Don't be filled with contempt. You got to use your words differently. But my thoughts get out of my mouth before I can control them. And so what do we do to change And not just add to the list of words that I'm going to be accountable for someday. I think we first start with recognizing that our words can function in our lives like a heart monitor. Because remember, we look at our words honestly and critically, and that should tell us what's going on inside of our heart. And if what it shows is that our hearts need to change, not just change our words, because I can change my words and that's just the appearances. I need my heart to actually change, but my heart doesn't change often just because I'm told that I should. My heart needs to be transformed. My heart needs to be melted and molded and shaped by something greater than a set of rules. I need to recognize the truth of what was read earlier in Proverbs chapter 4. I need to recognize the, the truth that your heart, my heart, is a wellspring of life. Guard it above all else. Protect it. I remember I, I took a mission trip in college, and I was in Mongolia, and we were out among the nomadic people. I mean, it was an incredible experience. And, and at one point, we passed through this village and as those who actually spoke Mongolian were, were sharing the gospel with leaders, those of us who didn't, we, we helped rebuild the spring, the town spring. Because the spring had become in disrepair, and so animals would just walk through the spring that was the source of their water. And so, you know what that means. Dirt and feces and all these things would contaminate the water. And so we helped re- rearrange the spring, and we built a fence around it to keep the animals out. Because here's the thing. Once the water had been contaminated, you couldn't uncontaminate it. Once my heart is contaminated, I can't filter it on the other side before the words come out of my mouth. I actually need to keep the source pure. The heart needs to be changed so that the words can change. And the thing is, what we find is that if the words come out of the overflow of my heart, that means there's something going on in my heart. 
That's what this should be telling us. The heart monitor is saying, hey, there's something wrong. Because I think the words that we say often come out of the places in our heart that are still wounded. The places in us that, that are insecure, that are unsatisfied. The places where we're feeling that needs are unmet, that we're feeling vulnerable, that we're feeling like unaccepted, feeling like we need to prove ourselves, feeling like we need to be built up. And if that's at the cost of other people, fine. We need to somehow, our hearts, are, they're broken. That's what our words are telling us. And when we find our words are being harsh and critical, man, it's not just because I like being harsh and critical and sarcastic. It's because I feel inadequate and I'm trying to build myself up. I have a need somewhere deep within me that I don't feel is being met. So these words function as a monitor showing our heart that when we go deeper, it shows, I think, ultimately what we need to bring to Jesus for healing and completion. Because we all have these wounds, don't we? And we all live from these places of woundedness. So many of these wounds come from dealing with people. Because you've been on the receiving end of criticism and contempt. You've been on the receiving end of hurtful, malicious, careless, dead, useless, idle words. And those wounds don't just go away on their own. They need to be healed. And I think this is an invitation as we're dealing with people to bring our wounded heart to Jesus for healing. See, the religious leaders that were insulting Jesus... Remember, they're saying that it's by the prince of demons he's casting out demons. Because Jesus was going about saying, hey, he's healing and, and casting out demons because this was the exhibition. This was the, the demonstration of God's plan and purpose. It was his kingdom coming into people's lives. It was a gift and a work of God healing them from the inside out, transforming them from the inside out. Not so that they didn't have to fabricate some sort of illusion and appearance of wholeness. I think that's the invitation of us to bring our wounded, insecure hearts to Jesus and let him bring healing so that it can be out of an authentic overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak, having been healed and loved by God. So where are your words coming from? Do they come from a place of hurt, of sin, of loneliness, of insecurity? Does it come from a place of superiority? feeling like maybe you've gotten your words right. Why can't anybody else? And all of those are an invitation to bring your heart to Jesus and let him bring a healing. Because, man, you are loved that much. Matter of fact, if you want to know, if you want to have that security, that acceptance that you desperately need, you bring your heart to Jesus, to the one who says, hey, on the day where you're going to give an account for every useless word, for every empty, hurtful phrase, you're going to bring it and you're going to make that account to God and it's going to be ugly, but here's the thing, I will take on your guilt, your condemnation, and your punishment because I love you that much. Others have said, hey, prove it. Prove you're worth it, but I'm saying I have already proven it to you. I love you this much. And so the most powerful words ultimately that we can say are, yes, Jesus, I trust. I believe that you have taken my condemnation. I believe that you love me this much. And that reality begins to transform our hearts from the inside out when we realize what he has done for us. Man, when we realize that, how could we continue to use our words in ways that are hurtful and harmful to other people and only add to the hurt and the harm and the pain that Jesus has to take for us? 
that he took on the cross. We can be healed from the inside, transformed when we come and bring our hurting hearts to Jesus so that out of the overflow of a healed, loved, whole heart, we can begin to speak words of kindness, healing, support, honesty, and love. Before you start worrying about the difficult people you have to deal with, bring your hurt and difficult heart to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, when when we take an honest inventory of the things that come out of us, it's not pretty. We can see our tendency to be critical, judgmental. We can see contempt. We can see all sorts of ugly. Lord, will you give us the courage to go below that and to understand where those words are coming from in our heart? May we see our woundedness. May we see our bitterness. May we see our, our loneliness. May we see our insecurity. May we see our incompletion. May we see all of those things so that we can be honest. We can confess those. We can bring those to you. We can receive the healing that you have for us. Lord, transform us from the inside out that out of the overflow of loved and healed hearts we would speak. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.